Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a hymn that we sing during this time of year, the season of Lent, especially around Good Friday, and it's called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. And much of the wording for that comes from Isaiah 53. It's a portion of scripture known as the suffering servant, and Isaiah's words shed light on what the Savior, the Messiah, would have to endure on our behalf. Now, most everyone here has probably heard about Jesus having to die on the cross for us, which in and of itself is horrific. But there's also another thing that Jesus had to endure, and we see it in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Can you imagine if people said that about you? If they said, you were despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Maybe some of you might feel that way right now. But to feel rejected is a powerful emotion. It brings with it a sense of, of despair and loneliness. And sadly, that is what Jesus had to deal with during his time here on earth. One could argue he experienced this emotion the most while hanging on the cross as he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which translates from Aramaic to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm 22. But it's not just on the cross where Jesus is rejected. We see this all over the scriptures. Sometimes it's out of hate or rage. Sometimes it's out of jealousy. Sometimes it's out of fear. But over and over again, Jesus is either asked to leave and go away, or he was threatened. And the same holds true for today's gospel reading as well. Just after Jesus is talking about the narrow door by which people get into heaven, we pick up today's lesson with the words, at that very hour, which means it's a continuation of the happenings just before it. And the Pharisees say to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now these Pharisees are a tricky bunch, right? On the surface, it might look like they're trying to help Jesus out. It kind of looks like they're concerned for his safety, saying that Herod wants to kill him, so Jesus should leave. But the motives, the motives here have been the topic of theological debate for centuries. What we do know is that the Pharisees don't want Jesus around. The rejection of Jesus is obvious. We also know that there's no proof that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, we see the opposite in Scripture. As, as Jesus had been arrested and was in the midst of a so-called trial before Pilate, it says in Luke 23:8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him. Doesn't sound like somebody who wants to kill Jesus. And so my educated guess, when it comes to trying to figure out the Pharisees' motives here, sounds to me 
like siblings having a disagreement. To me, it sounds like one of the children is, is borrowing the authority of the parent to beef up their argument. By talking about Herod, the Pharisees sound something like, you better get out of my room or mom's going to yell at you. Which could be rather convincing. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. These Pharisees were acting like the big brother, invoking the name of Herod like it means something. But that's not the way it works here, is it? Jesus isn't under anyone's authority unless he allows it to happen, like at his death. So instead, he tells the Pharisees how it really is. Jesus will do what he's come to do. And no one can stop that from happening. Perhaps these Pharisees were hoping to deter him from God's plan of salvation. Or to act as, as agents of the devil. But Jesus, in authority, ignores their pleas and in return challenges them back, giving them imperatives of his own. Go tell that fox, he says, which, which I found a rather interesting way to talk about King Herod. Go tell that fox. Well, it's weird until you see how Jesus talks about the chosen people of God, the inhabitants of Jerusalem for whom he laments. He describes them here in this short episode in Luke's gospel. He describes gathering Jesus or Jerusalem's children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. If God's chosen people, his adopted sons and daughters, are baby chicks, then of course the rulers of this world, the earthly kings, would be predators, such as a fox who seeks to destroy and devour the vulnerable. Jesus tells the Pharisees, the real order of authority here, that he, God, is like a mother hen gathering his own unto himself. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to bring his chosen people under his wings. Now, I've been a city boy my whole life. I've never had the opportunity to experience farm life, well, aside from riding in a potato harvester at Vicarage. So when Jesus uses agricultural metaphors like this, uh, I'm always curious what people would have commonly known back then. And so I looked it up on YouTube. And wouldn't you know, I found this cool 30-second clip of a hen with her brood. And I find it fascinating. See here, the chicks are just hanging out, chilling, safe, secure. You also see that the hen is vigilant, ever watchful. And when one chick who has gone astray comes back, there's no questioning. There's no fifth degree. Where were you? Why did you leave? There was no, don't you know I'm trying to protect you line of questioning? No accusations of this chick wanting to go off on its own. It's not what happens. Instead, there's a spot for that chick among the other chickens. Notice, too, the, children, the other chicks don't give him a hard time. They're just happy that he's back, safe and under the wings. And it's this image of God, this metaphor for how God is. And it, it's echoing what it says in Psalm 36, 7. Uh, it says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. 
The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 94, uh, 91 verse 4 says, He will cover you with his pinions. Another translation says feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. That's the image of God that Jesus wants us and the people of Jerusalem to see here. Now all this back and forth with the Pharisees is taking place in Jerusalem. And this is the place known to the Israelites where God dwells among his people in the temple in Jerusalem. It's the most holy place. The one place on earth that they are closest to God. But Jesus also says that Jerusalem is the place where God's prophets are killed. As much as he would like to save these residents of Jerusalem, the truth is that many have rejected Jesus as prophet and have rejected God's saving act. He would gather them under his wings, but he says to them, and you would not. Like wayward chicks, the people of Jerusalem stubbornly resist God's will for their lives, and because of that, Jesus tells them that their house is forsaken. But sadly, the people of Jerusalem aren't the only ones to reject Jesus, though. It's still happening now, to this very day. And it's happening with the people we know and care about. And oftentimes, it comes from a place of not being able to understand sin and suffering, guilt and loss. For so many people, God is rejected because life doesn't seem to make sense to them. They don't understand how can a God allow these horrible things to happen in their lives. God doesn't act in accordance with their logic or reasoning, and therefore he must be wrong or mean or evil. That's what people think today. But this kind of thinking doesn't belong only to those outside of the church. Sometimes we overthink it. We overanalyze it and we make things way more difficult than necessary. But Jesus says to have a faith like a child. Matthew 18 verses 2 through 4 says, And calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so our role in all of this is to be children. God's children. And if you take Jesus' metaphor of a hen gathering her brood, it's to be Little chicks, little baby chickens. The truth is, God's wings are big. So big that when he spread them out for us, he spread them so wide that they would be nailed to a cross. That by his death, by the spreading of his wings over us, we are protected from the wrath that is to come when God punishes all sinners on the last day. God, who hates sin, has another emotion that's even more powerful, his emotion of love for us, his children. 
And God has gathered us into himself as his claimed children of God. And so there's so much room under these wings, so much room for more and more people, your friends, your loved ones, your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, all, all those who long for peace and hope and forgiveness and acceptance. So as God's children, as members of his divine family, we get to go and talk to people about how awesome it is to belong to such a group. We are given this privilege to talk to those who are yet to know and believe in Jesus. But for a majority of people, for whatever reason, this doesn't seem to be happening. I was at the St. Paul's Zone Lutheran Hour Banquet this past weekend, and I was I was bowled over by a statistic that's been recently discovered. It turns out that 73% of people who self-identify as Christians in America have been given the label reluctant conversationalists when it comes to their faith. What Barna's research showed is that basically three out of four Christians are having less than 10 conversations about faith each year. In other words, three out of four Christians are talking about their faith with others less than once a month. They're also very specific to point out that they're not talking about an evangelistic conversation about the faith with a non-Christian. No. They're talking about any spiritual conversation with anyone. Your spouse, your friends, your child, your pastor. I don't know about you, but when I heard this, I was blown away. And if we're looking for a reason the church is in decline in America, well, this certainly is a contributing factor. And what's worse is that there are people in our lives that need to hear what God has to say about them and to them. They need to hear how God loves them and how he wants what's best for them. When a friend or a relative is having a hard time or, or going through some struggle or loss, the good news is that you, you have words of hope and of peace to share with them. And if we extend Jesus' metaphor of being fellow baby chicks, the good news is that there's a great way to talk to these new Christians because in a religious sense, these people that we get to talk to are theological infants. <laughs> these new children of God are, in a sense, babies. And I'm not saying someone who's struggling is just being a big baby. That's not what I'm saying. But theologically, we should be careful not to overwhelm them. Now, I have a son named Pax. He's about nine months old. And he has just a little bit of a part of a tooth coming in. And he's starting to take solid food, though we cut it up very, very small for him. But before this, his whole diet consisted primarily of milk. And when talking with new Christians or people who might become new Christians, we should be careful to give them theological milk. And it's, this is uh, the way the Bible talks, too. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 2. The Apostle Paul said, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. 
or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We can add Hebrews 5, 12 through 13 in there as well, because it talks about having uh, the need of being taught the basics of, of the Christian life is like needing milk versus solid food. Food. Now, I'm not saying we need to dumb it down for people and treat people like they ha don't have much of a brain. Instead, what I'm saying is that each of you, by the Holy Spirit, are enabled to give someone the basics when it comes to the Christian faith. Each and every one of you, by the Holy Spirit, are able to share with someone the reason you have hope. The hope for the future, even if that future includes an earthly death. Our hope as Christians extends beyond the short number of years that we spend here on earth. Instead, our hope extends to eternity. Because we hold fast to the promises of our Lord, proven true by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So you don't need to give some theological treatise on sin or suffering. No, you need to give these theological infants theological milk. And you get to tell them for the first time, or maybe remind them, of the fact that God loves them. That he's here with them in their midst, especially when they struggle, and that he promises to hear and listen to every single word that is prayed to him. Just like any dear father would listen to his dear children. Because that's who we are. God's children for whom Jesus was relentless in his mission to save, who underwent rejection, suffering, even death on a cross, so that we would be forgiven of our sins and brought securely into his family forever. Amen.